This is the inerrant, infallible word of the one true and living God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, thank you so much for this morning. A morning to remember that there is joy for the life of the Christian, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering. Lord, we have the gift of faith in Christ. I pray that you would help us see the ramifications of this great gift this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure, uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the PBS production Antique Road Show. Has anybody watched this? Anybody sat for way too many hours in a row and just watched people evaluate stuff? Uh, It's a bit of a reality show where people bring in family heirlooms, purchases from flea markets and estate sales, etc. And they have them evaluated by experts in various schools of artistry. Uh, And after an expert inspects the items of interest, he or she gives the owner an approximate appraisal of market value of the item. And I often get embarrassed for the owner, don't you? And sometimes even the appraiser, when they've brought in some piece of junk and they just think it's just priceless. They thought it was an item of certain authenticity and of great value, and it turns out to be a cheap knockoff. Now, yesterday I saw a snippet from one of these episodes. A man brought in this very strange handcrafted pot with several faces formed on on the outer shell. Jeff Morton, you would have loved it. You would have loved it. It would be on our bulletin if I'd seen it early enough. So the show's resident, strange-looking face-covered pottery expert, he carefully inspected the pot. And he told the owner that the pot was probably made in the late 19th century and bring as much as $50,000 on the open market. The owner of the piece was ecstatic. But the ecstasy was short-lived because a woman was watching the program and she recognized this piece of pottery because it had been in her house for a while. You see, her good friend in high school had made it for a high school art project in 1973. Now, not to diminish the student's skill, it was an interesting-looking piece of artistry, but the face pot was not what it seemed to be. It was not authentic. It was not what the thing the owner nor even the experts thought it was. This morning, we are going to rejoice, like Nathan said, in the gift of faith. I think we've already been doing that. That God has given the believer. But before we keep doing that, let's just take a moment and just hold our faith up to the expert appraiser of the word of God. And make sure we know what we have. And unlike this pottery expert, the word of God will not let us down in this evaluation. 
This morning we're going to look at three things. The marks of an authentic faith. How the gift of faith humbles us and how it sets us free. Again, for the note takers, the marks of authentic faith. How the gift of faith humbles us and how it sets us free. So let's look first at the marks of an authentic faith. Now when I use the term authentic faith, let me be clear. What I mean is saving faith. Faith that actually saves. Paul tells us in verse 8 that we've been saved by grace, the grace of God, and that this salvation is through faith. And Paul is not talking about some nondescript, general, religious faith. The gift that Paul is telling us about is a biblical, saving faith. This is the key, in Jesus Christ. Now, many of you will remember, as I do, in the weeks and months following the September 11th attacks on our nation, the term faith became a frequent player in the public discourse, didn't it? Do you remember this? President Bush was walking a fine line as a a Christian uh, leading in a pluralistic society, and this society was asking top-level religious questions. But I remember noticing how the word faith that we were saying in public was not a biblical idea, was not the biblical idea of faith. We talked about Christian faith and Muslim faith and all faiths and personal faith. And at some point in it, this heightened desire for answers and our resistance as a nation to admit that one religion or faith could be wrong and another right, we began to use the term faith simply to mean sincerity. In other words, the content of one's faith might be important to them, but really what mattered was the sincerity with which they held it. Do you remember this? And the skeptics of faith, they they still refer to religion of all kinds and speak of it as a blind faith, as if there's nothing there to actually believe in. And in our Christian circles, we often talk about strong faith and weak faith. The gift of faith Paul's referring to is a very specific kind of faith. It's a saving faith. So before we go on, let's just do this quick diagnostic exercise together. Let's do it. Let's make sure the faith we have is the kind of faith Paul is talking about before we see how it humbles and sets us free. Now, I rarely do this as I preach, but this outline's a little complicated, so I want the note takers to stay on track. We're in main point one, the nature of authentic saving faith, and there's three points under here. There are three components to this kind of faith that Paul's talking about. One, saving faith is based on a knowledge of the gospel. It's based on a knowledge of the gospel. Look back at chapter 1, verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Saving faith is not blind faith. It's not sincere belief in whatever makes you feel good. Saving faith requires a knowledge of the gospel of grace, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And that he rose from the dead. The knowledge of the gospel is not only God is love. It includes how he loved. 
And Paul says, this grace, this great love with which he loved us was made manifest in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Saving faith understands the content of the gospel. And most of us are thinking, so far so good, right? Good. So far so good. That's good. Secondly, saving faith requires that we believe this gospel message that we have heard and understood. Again, in... in 113, Paul says that the Ephesians didn't just hear the message, they believed it. And you may be thinking, isn't that the same thing? Well, it should be. Did you know that there are Bible scholars all over the world in our universities and some of our seminaries who know the content of the scriptures better than you and I ever will? They can read the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts of the Bible. They understand complicated grammatical constructions. And they can even trace every Old Testament prophecy to its fulfillment in the person of work and work of Jesus Christ. But many of them don't believe any of it. They have near complete human knowledge, but they do not believe. They've stopped short of saving faith. You know, it is such a tragic, tragic thing to hold living water in your very hands and then separate your fingers and let it drain to the ground. Saving faith does not end with knowledge. It moves on to assent. And again, many, if not most of us in the room this morning would say, happily, yes, I, I understand the gospel and I believe it. I know it. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the good news that he came to save sinners. The Apostle James would say to us this morning, good, good. You now qualify to rise all the way to the noble office of demon of hell. Right? Even the demons know and believe but they shudder they don't trust they shy away they say what leave us alone Jesus right knowledge of the truth plus intellectual assent does not equal saving faith there are people this morning that need to hear this saving faith depends on a third component Trust. One commentator put it this way, saving faith includes the sinner's willingness to transfer all reliance for pardon, righteousness, and cleansing away from himself and his resources in complete and total abandonment to Christ. To trust Christ is to receive him, his person, joyfully, and to rest on him and his work entirely for your salvation. And you may say, well, where in the Bible does it make this distinction? Paul's been making it since verse 1 of this letter, hasn't he? I mean, Jimmy mentioned it last week. Already in this letter, Paul has used some version of the prepositional phrase, in Christ or with Christ, more than 20 times. 
go into your Bible this afternoon after church and sit down and trace through chapters 1 and part of 2 and notice the number of times that Paul says, in him, in Christ, with Christ, through Christ. Every single component of this faith is connected to Jesus himself. It's a wrap your arms around him faith. It's a wet his feet with your tears and wipe them with your hair kind of faith. It's a sell all you have and follow him kind of faith. And you say, Eric, this is starting to sound a lot like works. No, it's the farthest thing from works. It's the farthest thing. See, all these are responses to the gift of faith. Saving faith puts all of our hope for today and tomorrow and eternity in the person of Jesus Christ. And it willingly and lovingly and joyfully embraces him. And some of you are thinking, why is he belaboring this first point? There are some here this morning who have heard and understood the gospel, believed its content, and have never actually surrendered everything to Christ. In this moment, even now, if the Spirit of the living God is convicting you of your self-reliance and your pride, hear these words of Scripture from Hebrews 3. If today you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Respond. You know, it's not my responsibility or even my ability to look at you this morning and tell you whether you have saving faith or not. But I can stand on the word of God and say that if you have heard the gospel and you believe it to be true and you have transferred all hope away from yourself and onto Christ, you are operating this morning out of the gift of saving faith. The faith itself that you are exercising is a gift of God's grace. Praise Him. Praise Him this morning if you believe. Now I've spent more than half the sermon this morning to establish this one thing, the nature of saving faith for good reason. Because as we move to the last two points, we have to know what it is if we're going to benefit from it. So point two, how does saving faith humble us? How does this gift of faith humble us? Listen, I'm not going to say anything profound here. It's pretty simple. We didn't do it. I mean, that's what Paul says. This is not your own work. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. And to make sure that we've got it, Paul continues, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, at first exposure to this verse, it sounds a little snippy, doesn't it? I mean, it, maybe it only sounds snippy to people like me who struggle with great pride and self-importance. But if you struggle with pride and self-importance, this sounds a little snippy. 
there's this great scene in the first Star Wars movie. If you've not seen the movies, just hang with me. Luke and Han and Chewie and Leia, they're in this, they're in, I think, the Millennium Falcon, yeah. And Stephen, yes, okay, he knows the scene. And the, they're being attacked by Imperial troops, and there's these two cannons on opposite sides of the ship. And Luke goes to one, and Han goes to one. Luke's never shot this thing before. It's like this crazy chair-swinging, like, multi-axis articulating cannon chair, right? And the ship's coming out, and he's... And it blows up. And Luke immediately turns to Han on the other side of the ship. He goes, I got him! And Han's response is, great kid, don't get cocky. That is not what Paul's doing here. And that's how I took it. I was like, God, Paul's being a little snippy here. Don't get cocky. I have no idea where I am in my manuscript because I just... That scene is in my brain. Let's see where we are. Yeah, so he, Han's annoyed with Luke. He's annoyed with his pride, isn't he? I don't think Paul's annoyed with the pride of the Ephesians. I think he knows the danger of that pride to undermine all that he has so passionately proclaimed to them about the work of Christ on their behalf and their union with Christ. Brothers and sisters, we did not accomplish this faith. We didn't muster it up. We didn't awake and fan into flame some tiny spark of faith that still lingered in us. No, Paul says that when Christ found us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive. He gave us the very faith through which we grabbed on to Christ. It's not a product placement. There's just no waters in the fridge. Um, he gave us the very faith through which we grabbed on to Christ. That's why Reformed theologians often talk about salvation as a monergistic work. This is important. Our salvation is a moner, monergistic work. It comes from two words, mono meaning one and ergon meaning work. One work, one worker. Our faith was worked out by one person, God alone. Paul's saying, look back at everything I've been writing to you. From eternity past in the counsel of God's divine purpose and will, to the work of Christ in space and time, to, to the counsel, to the time that God called you by the gospel. Because of the great love with which he loved you. And the moment when he wrought the gift of saving faith in your heart, your salvation has been the work of God alone. It's not something we've done. If we boast about our faith, we don't understand where it came from in the first place. All praise and honor and glory go to God for this saving work. The gift of faith humbles us. But it doesn't just humble us. Is there, who likes to be humbled? Everybody? The gift of faith humbles us, and that's good. But it frees us, and that is so much better. It frees us. 
Now, in the first draft of this sermon, I had this sentence, okay? Some of us need to be humbled, and some of us are so beleaguered by our sin and doubts, we need to be set free. Wrong. I'm glad I reread this. That's not right. We look at pride and self-doubt as opposite problems. They aren't. Think about this. If somebody gets lost in the woods in February, what's the danger? Hyperthermia, right? So when they're found, what is the first thing the EMT does? Warms them up, right? They throw a blanket on them. The cold can kill them. If they're cold, they need to be warmed up. But if someone gets lost in the desert in July, they have the opposite problem, right? Now they're so hot and dehydrated, they need to be, what, cooled down. See, we look at these two things as opposite problems with opposite remedies. They're not. The problem is core temperature. Right? And the solution for both is the same. Restore to core temperature. It's the same problem. Yes, it manifests differently. You see, we look at these two problems of pride and beleaguerment as opposite problems needing opposite remedies. They aren't and they don't. Tim Keller put it something like this. They're both the same problem and they need the same remedy. Pride and self-doubt at their root are the same issue. The belief that I have to do it. And those living out of pride momentarily either believe they can do it or think they have to and think there's a shot. Right? And those living in beleaguered self-doubt think they have to do it and know they can't. It's the same problem. And you know what the remedy for both problems is? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, I see how Paul's words here humble the proud, but how does this gift of faith set us free? Well, again, we didn't build it and we don't have to sustain it. That's the key. What about all those commands of Scripture? What about the make your calling election sure? What about if you love me, you'll keep my commands? Yes. My friend Tim used to say a thousand times yes. But don't mix up obedience and sanctification with the free gift of God's grace and salvation that he has given us. Faith is not something we accomplish or create or obtain through our effort. Faith is a gift of God, listen, that we learn to operate from. This is where the freedom comes. Faith is the new operating system of the Christian life. As one who has trusted Christ, God has so connected you to the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus that Paul can say that we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places and have been given every spiritual blessing in him. Do you know what that means? Neither do I exactly. Right? It's cosmic. 
But until you kill the notion in your own heart that somehow it's up to you to perform well enough to get God to love you, you will never feel the freedom of faith. Do you struggle to believe God loves you? Remember the gospel. Are you tired of making sure he keeps loving you? Remember the gospel. See, that's operating out of the faith. I'm going to try to put some flesh on this with a personal experience. Okay? Last year, my daughter came to me and said, I'm going to Guatemala for a month on a missions trip. And there were others in, uh, from our church that went, other young people. And as a father, I had two options here. Worry and bury faith or trust and exercise it. I chose to exercise faith and give my daughter my blessing for her to go to another country for a month. And do you know what happened? I experienced the faith God had given me. I mean, I, I felt it. I became aware of it in a new way. I didn't muster it up. I just operated and what was already there. And here's the thing. Was I guaranteed that my daughter would return safely to me? No. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Now, I don't know the semantics. I don't know if my faith grew in that moment, but I experienced it in a new way. It was so freeing. To trust God instead of myself. And some of you are thinking, my faith is just so weak. Do you know why? Maybe you never use it. You never operate out of it. And you may say, well, Eric, what if I exercise faith and God lets me down? God is not going to let you down. I mean, you may die. But God's not going to let you down. As you exercise this gift of faith that God has given you in this world, you may follow Jesus even to your death. But that will not be God letting you down. Do you know how I know this? Because Christ was not abandoned to the grave. You will not let my body see corruption or abandon my soul to Sheol. Christ went all the way. He lived a life of faith in God all the way to the cross, lost his life for it, and God restored it. And you may say, well, okay, but what good does that do me right? You're seated with Christ. You've already been raised with him. When that day comes through a Guatemalan drug cartel or old age, you will not be abandoned to the grave. Amen. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the faith that we operate out of. We have so much in him that we're already seated with Christ in a very significant way. You will never experience the freeing power of faith in Christ if you refuse to operate in it. 
You know, last night I saw another scene from the Antique Roadshow. And of all the awkward and painful exchanges I've seen on this show over the years, this one took the cake. The owner brought this very unique woven golden ring with a precious jewel setting, and the appraiser was very impressed with it. And and after the usual suspense-building description of the item and its history, the show's expert told the man the ring was likely to sell for more than $20,000. This man had just been told he was in possession of a thing of great value. And do you know what the man did? He just stood there. And he looked at the expert. And the expert looked back at him. And he looked back at the expert. And finally he spoke. And do you know what he said? What do I do with it now? And the expert replied, God has given each of us a gift of saving faith that is not of great value. It, friends, it is of infinite value. But sadly, many of us are standing here asking, what do I do with it? Here's a suggested start. Ponder it. Be aware of all that God has done. Paul has laid it out for us in Ephesians 1 and 2. Begin to meditate on not only the glorious salvation that God has already accomplished, but the glorious inheritance that you have in Christ. And then begin, slowly at first maybe, but more and more, to live in it. Operate out of this real blessing of saving faith in Christ. You know, here's how you can tell when you have an, operate, uh, an opportunity to live and operate from your faith and you're about not to. Do you know what it is? Everything inside you says, no! Stay in America! Whatever it is, when you feel that self welling up in you and you sure clearly see the act of faith in a situation and everything in you says don't in reliance on the Holy Spirit operate in your faith and see what God does with it choose faith this morning rather than fear and see what God will do let's pray Father thank you for the gift of a full, robust, saving faith in Jesus Christ for the believer. And Lord, even now as your gospel, as your word goes forth, for those who have never even heard this message, but this morning have believed, give them the gift of faith. Lord, let them have a full, robust, biblical, saving faith in Christ and help us who have it to operate out of it, to live it and experience the freedom that the life of faith brings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.